A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus, again in reply, spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fattened cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads, and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike, and the hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there not dressed in a wedding garment. The king said to him, My friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment? But he was reduced to silence. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind his hands and feet, and cast him into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord A wedding banquet is a celebration of the fullness of human life. The married couple will bring children into the world. When Israel imagines their relationship with God, they imagine that God is the bridegroom and Israel is the bride. There's something odd about this wedding banquet. It doesn't sound like a banquet that God is hosting. The king sounds more like King Herod, who served the head of John the Baptist on a platter at the banquet at his house. There's something else about this banquet that surprises us, at least as we heard it imagined in Isaiah's dream. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy, rich food and pure, choice wines. Jerusalem is built on a mountain, and the children of Israel, exiled in Babylon, long to return to the city on the hill. But the reunion God imagines is not just for God's chosen, but for all peoples and all nations. The words all and every occurs five times in three verses. We hear echoes of Isaiah in the Gospel. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. The new guests, who are bad and good alike, fill the wedding hall. All are invited. Pope Francis extended a similar invitation in his homily at the opening of the Synod on October the 4th, the Feast of St. Francis. A church with a gentle yoke does not impose burdens and repeats to everyone, 
Come, you who are weary and oppressed, come, you who have lost your way or feel far away, come, you who have closed the doors to hope, the church is here for you. And then, in an ad lib in Italian, the Pope added, Tutti, 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 everyone, everyone, everyone. Although the king is hosting a wedding banquet for his son, the son does not appear in the parable. Last Sunday, in the parable of the tenants in the vineyard, the son, the heir, was taken outside the vineyard and killed. Jesus, quoting Psalm 118, interpreted this as the Lord's doing. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Remember, we are in Jerusalem. It's early in Holy Week when Jesus is about to suffer death on the cross. In the face of violent threats, Jesus will stand silent before his earthly accusers. He will be handed over, bound hand and foot to a cross, and thrown into the outer darkness of death. You probably noticed someone else is missing at the wedding banquet. There is no bride. It seems that the guests are the bride. They're not invited to witness a wedding. They were invited to be married to the son. They were not invited to observe. They were invited to participate. The requirement is a wedding garment, an eagerness to be united to the son. The wedding garment signals a readiness to understand and act on Jesus' teachings. They must make them their own. They must marry the revelation and bear children, acts of justice, compassion, and love in the world. Instead of bringing a gift to the wedding, we are invited to be the gift that is given. But the problem, of course, is that no gift is ever free. It's always part of an exchange, a complex balance between what we consider to be owed to each other. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from prison. The Philippians have sent money for his care. While he is grateful, you can hear Paul's hesitation in accepting their gift. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Still, it was kind of you to share in my distress. Because it creates gratitude or obligation, to willingly receive a gift is itself a form of generosity. It says, I'm willing to owe you one. It's no wonder the invited guests refused to come to the banquet. Dominican Father Timothy Radcliffe gave a retreat at the Vatican for all the delegates before the opening of the Synod. In his opening talk, he shared this hope. We gather in hope for humanity. The future looks grim. Ecological catastrophe threatens the destructions of our home. Wildfires and floods have devoured the world this summer. Small islands begin to disappear under the sea. 
Millions of people are on the road fleeing from poverty and violence. Hundreds have drowned in the Mediterranean. Many parents refuse to bring children into a world that appears doomed. In China, young people wear t-shirts saying, We are the last generation. And this was before the conflict in Israel erupted. In spite of all these challenges, Father Radcliffe insists that we gather in hope for humanity, especially for the young. But here's the difficulty, he said. We have contradictory hopes. So how can we hope together? At the Last Supper, the disciples received a hope beyond all they could have imagined, the body of Christ and his blood, the new covenant, eternal life. In the light of this Eucharistic hope, all their conflicting hopes must have seemed as nothing. This is what St. Paul called in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, hoping against hope, the hope that transcends all of our hopes. At the Last Supper, there seemed to be no future. All that lay ahead, apparently, was failure, suffering, and death. And in this darkest moment, Jesus made the most hopeful gesture in the history of the world. This is my body, given for you. This is my blood, poured out for you. This is the hope that calls us beyond all division. This is the Eucharistic hope. The Lord is with us. As Isaiah imagines, it will be said on that day, Behold our God, this is the Lord for whom we looked.